0: I'm giving you 15 minutes. You will begin with your understanding of the Bible. And you will end with your understanding of the return of Jesus. And in between, you will talk about all the major doctrines of the Christian faith in a way that will make sense for your life and the lives of others. Can you do it? Let me help you. Join us for this series that we're doing on Sunday night called Doctrines of For living. Well, um, before we uh, uh, launch tonight into providence, the doctrine of providence—the one you see on the screen—we've done uh, given attention to the doctrine of the will of God. Primary point is God does not have multiple wills; God has one will. We understand that one will of God in terms of God's decree, uh, whatever God has decreed from before before time will come to pass. And as a vital component of God's will, there is, of course, what we know, and what we know we read in Scripture. We read the Bible, and the Bible is God's re- revealed will for us. And the Bible is filled with commands, imperatival commands about who we are to be, and what we are to do as the people of God. So let's talk tonight about, uh, begin to talk tonight before we turn to uh, the doctrine of creation. Let's talk about the providence of God. Providence is what emerges out of our understanding of the will of God. God's will is not ever expressed haphazardly. Whatever God ordains to be, will be. And God has so structured His world that what He has decreed unfolds in an orderly fashion. God is a God of order. God is not a God of confusion. Uh, So you turn to uh, Genesis chapter 1 and you read the account as we will later this evening of the creation of the world. And what you see, among other things, is how orderly it is. First day, second day, third day. Uh, So God is that kind of God. Or turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 14. And since God is a God of order, then he expects there to be order uh, in his church. Uh, You will know that uh, when you get to 1 Corinthians 14, you're getting to the end of a section where Paul is dealing with a lot of confusion and a lot of chaos that was present in the church in Corinth. So at the very end, he gives a primary principle for how his church is to operate because of who he is as a God of providence. 1 Corinthians 14, we begin reading in verse 36, Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. Paul here is very clearly asserting and establishing his apostolic authority to issue the kinds of directive commands that he has issued to this church. He does so in order to bring them under the authority of God as he is working in the church through his spirit. So Paul says in verse 38, if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but here is the, the instruction. All things should be done decently and in order. And the reason for that is because God is God of providence who uh, provides for his people and brings order To his people. The word providence comes from a Latin word uh, made up of two words pro to go before, videre to see. That means that God sees everything beforehand, God knows everything beforehand, and he unfolds his will in the church, in the lives of his people, in the world, in a way that produces order. Now, that's very encouraging, or it should be very encouraging for all of us, because we will all go through times in our lives when we feel like our lives are out of control. And we will feel that there is nothing that fits uh, in the puzzle of life, that the pieces of the puzzle are scattered all over the ground. This is what you can be sure of. If you belong to Jesus, God knows exactly what he's doing in your life. And it's all under His control. And God is working in the midst of what you perceive to be confusion in order to bring order to your life. God's providence extends to every place and to all people. But God's providence is especially manifest in those who are His. God is working out in your life as his child, his plan, and his purpose for the exalting of his glory and the exalting of the Lord Jesus in and through your life. The question is not whether that is biblically true. The question is, do we trust that truth? Do we build our lives upon that truth? Now, how many of us tell the truth, how many of us, when things are chaotic around us, whether it is in our workplace or in our home, or whether it's in the relationship with somebody we know and love, our first impulse is to try to figure out what is wrong and what's the second impulse. Fix it. We're going to fix it. Such an approach from a believer is simply a failure to trust the providence of God. We should pray and we should seek God in those situations and circumstances. But we should know that not only is God sovereign, ruling over every situation and circumstance, but that uh, God is providing for his people and he's working out his will in our lives for the glory of his name. We could go to a lot of places to see this, but let's go to three places. Psalm 33 So let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 33. This is a beautiful Psalm. Psalm 33. Look at the end, verses 18 through 22. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love, that He may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Now, those are two dire situations, facing death, facing famine. But for us as the people of God, In the midst of those kinds of situations, we know that the eye of the Lord is on us. We trust His steadfast love and His faithfulness. We know that He will provide for us. So what do we do? Verse 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. This is what you and I can know every day of our lives. God is good, and God is working that which is good in our lives, even when we can't see it, even when we don't know it, even when every experience in life testifies otherwise. This is the kind of God our God is. Turn over to Psalm 56. You and I should spend far more time in the Psalms than we do. Uh, The Psalms are uh, the heart and soul of the life of the believer. They deal with every situation we will ever face. They speak to us in the midst of times of gladness and in the times of sorrow. They address every concern that we would have. Psalm 56. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. Now, the next words are the key to the psalm, and I want you to see this. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, whose word I praise. We trust God, but we praise his word because God's word is his gift to us to strengthen and sustain us, to speak to us in the midst of all kinds of Situation. So in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Now look down at verse 10, because this key concept about God's provision for His people is repeated. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid, what can man do to me? Now, there's no harm that can come to you from any human force, Uh, there's nothing that can separate you from God and his love for you, so the psalmist says When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, and he repeats that. But look at what comes between uh, those two declarations about God's goodness in providing for us so that we are prompted to praise him. Verse number 5. All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape. In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. Now listen to these next words. You have kept count of my tossings. What's he talking about here? You have kept count of my tossings. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, sleeplessness. He's talking about someone who simply cannot sleep uh, because of concerns that weigh them down so, so overwhelm them that they cannot find their way to slumber because their soul is so stirred by worry and anxiety. What does the Bible tell us about our God and sleep? He He never slumbers. He never sleeps. So why are we tossing? Trust God. Rest in God. Uh, God's not only got you, he's got the whole world. He knows exactly what is going on with you. And the next words I love. You have, count of, you have kept count of my tossings. What, God, what has God done? He's put my tears. He's put my tears in your bottle. You'll never weep and God not know you're weeping. You'll never weep, and God not know the reason for your weeping. Every sadness, every sorrow, every tear that's shed. God knows God is watching over us. He's keeping track of our tears. He tells us elsewhere, "Morning lasts for how long? The night, but what comes in the morning? Joy. The same God who is watching over us and providing for us in the morning is the same God that is watching over us and providing for us through the night. He watches our tossings, He's there with us, He listens to us as we weep during the night. He's tracking our thoughts and our feelings. He knows us inside and out. Are they not in your books? The psalmist asks. Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know. I'm at the end of verse 9, Psalm 56. This I know that, what does it say? God is for me. Now, here's my question for all of What else do you need to know? God is for me. God is on my side. God is for me because he is my father and I am his child. So what is the response? Look down at verse 12. I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Walk before God. God's not watching as a disinterested observer. God is watching over you, watching over me, every days, every day of our life. Psalm. Uh, 33, Psalm 56, now the one we all know, Romans 8. Go to Romans 8, listen to what Paul says. Verse 28, and we know. a word that has to do with absolute and complete confidence we're not shaky here we don't falter here we stand on this we know that for those who love God this is very exclusive very restrictive very focused this is not for the entirety of the human race this is for God's people Who are God's people? There are those who love God. They're committed to Him. They're surrendered, submitted to Him. He defines this further as those who are the called of God, living out the purpose of God at the end of 828, for those who are called according to His purpose. Well, what can we know? That all things, all things that come our way, whatever they are, They work together for good. Now, I want to remind you of this again. In that verse, there is no our, O-U-R. They work together for good. And good, biblically, is that which exalts God because when you and I think about good, we want to put in there a first-person plural possessive pronoun. Our, and we want to define what that is, our good. I know what is for my good. I would submit to you that none of us in this room really ever know what is for our good. Only God knows that. And God is working for something more than our good. He's working for that which brings praise to his name, exalts his name for what is ultimate good. And there are many things in our lives that in the moment, at least in the moment, we would not say is working for our good. But in retrospect, if God allows us to live long enough, we will look back and say there's more good that came out of that dark night than anything that ever happened in my life. And we all could testify to that. So we need to stand on this verse in terms of the providence of God That God is not working for our good as we defined it. He's working for ultimate good as he defines it, and we need to trust him. So let's look at some Proverbs that uh, address this issue of the providence of God. We could go to lots of them, but let's go to these. Proverbs 16, verses 1 through 3. This is where you know when you can accept, affirm, acknowledge, and submit to verses like these that you're trusting the providence of God, that you're resting in the sovereignty of God. Proverbs 16, verse 1, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord... the Spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, that is, trust Him, submit to Him, and your plans will be established. Go over to Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs 19, verse 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Over to chapter 21, verse 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. This is God. This is God in His sovereign rule and in His providential care. Chapter 21, verses 30 through 31. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory, belongs to the Lord. The greatest freedom you will ever enjoy as a believer is when you submit yourself fully to God and His ways lived out in your life in accordance with His Word. The greatest freedom you'll ever know is when you submit yourself to the Word of God and the will of God and the way of God and rest in that. Otherwise, we're always in bondage, and we're always in bondage to what we want to happen in our lives. We are not autonomous, that is, self-ruled, self-governing individuals. That is why we all must learn to say, and I need to do a much better job of this, in Developing plans and purposes for our lives, there's a phrase we ought always to say, if the Lord wills. Because you can make all the plans that you want to make. You can make all the choices that you choose. You're not autonomous. As a believer, you're held in the hands of God and hopefully compelled and controlled by the Spirit of God. And this is how you will know. And I believe somewhere along the way, at various intersections in your life, this is what happens to us all. You're going in this direction, and you're sure this this is the direction for you. And then all of a sudden, God intervenes in your life in such an incredibly powerful way that you know, you know, without a doubt, you're to take a new direction. That's when your plans... Intersect with His will, and the greatest joy in your life, in my life, is found when our plans are submitted to His will, so that we can say, as Jesus did in Gethsemane, "Father, not my will, but Yours, be done." There is in the providence of God a uh, a word. Uh, that is at the core of the outworking of God's providence as it's revealed in Scripture. And it is the word concurrence. It's a big word, but I think it's important that we know what it means it's right here. Uh, what that word means that is in the providence of God, God will take that which we see as evil, which we see as dark, which we see as... Totally inexplicable, mysterious, we can't understand it. God will take that and he will use it in our lives for the outworking of his will. And until we can rest in that, uh, then we can't relax in the goodness and grace of God in all circumstances and in all situations. Genesis chapter 50 You remember this episode, it may be, along with the book of Job, the clearest example, not the only example, but the clearest example of this in the entire Bible. Very end of Genesis, Jacob has died, the boys are terrified, Uh, they're under the rule of Joseph in Egypt... They're afraid now since daddy has gone that he will turn on them. So look at Genesis chapter 50, beginning in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. To believe in the providence of God is to believe and to know that God is always working what is good in your life, even when everything in you says that in this moment, during this season, what is happening in my life is not only not good, it is evil. Uh, People are hurting me. They're misrepresenting me. They're mistreating me. Uh, They are hurting me, and yet in the midst of that, if we trust the providence of God, then God is taking that which we perceive to be evil, and he's working it for good to the exalting of his name and to the extending of his glorious kingdom. Sometimes that's very hard to trust. Sometimes there is in us as sinners uh, that which uh, wants to get back, that which wants to get even, that which wants to be vindictive and vengeful. And yet the people of God learn along the way the goodness of God and the way that God works out His plan. We learn what Joseph's brothers had to learn That God was at work in a way that they couldn't see and they couldn't understand and they couldn't comprehend so that the doctrine of concurrence, what they meant for evil, God meant for good. Turn to Job 42. I was reading in my quiet time recently through the book of Job again. I love the book of Job. There's so much about Job I don't understand. There's so much about Job I'll never understand. I don't know if any of you have this trouble with the book of Job, but I read the speeches of his friends, and there's so much they say that's right. (laughs) And I want to say, hey, guys, you got this. You got this. And then they say something stupid, which makes it all wrong. But there's so much about what they say is right and things that probably ought to be said. You come to the end of the book of Job, Job 42. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things. Now remember, this is after God finally answered Job. Job had wanted an audience with God. He had begged for an audience with God, and God finally gave him what he was looking for. And beginning in chapter 38, God starts talking to Job, and God doesn't even stop for a breath. You wanted to hear from me, now you're going to get it. And he got it. He got the full dose. At the end of it, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, chapter 42, verse 1 and 2, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Now this is what he says. This is Job. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak, I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eyes, my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now I think that when you and I really understand how great and marvelous God is and how what he is doing in our lives is good, then our first response is repentance, genuine repentance. Sometimes our understanding of God, this is true for all of us, sometimes our understanding of God is from being taught wrongly, even though we were taught sincerely. You can be taught by someone who's teaching with great sincerity, but without enough biblical knowledge to teach rightly. You can be taught wrongly, even though you're taught sincerely, about the character of God. And you can begin to see God in a way that's not biblical, so that when things begin to start going wrong in your life, rather than raising your hands in praise and prayer, what do we do? We turn our hands this way and say, why, or worse. We raise our fists to God. And can I say this to you? Pity the preacher that would say to you, it's all right for you to raise your fist to God. This is God we're talking about. God never, ever should be treated that way by his human creation, particularly those who have some sense of who he is. There are times in your life and my life when we want to say, why, why, what's going on here? But never, never, never. Job repents. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, verse 7, The Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken to me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you. I love that. For I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. You hear what what is there? Job's going to pray for you and he's going to pray that I not treat you as you deserve. You can only pray that way for people who've hurt you when you've come to the place of repentance. There have been seasons in my life as a pastor, not here often, if I were honest. It it has happened, but not often. But there's been times in my ministry as a pastor when people have been so cruel, so unkind, so mean, that I've had the thought, God, if you will just let me return to being a pagan (laughs) for 24 hours so I can just hurt them. Then I would be over it then no you don't you don't do that as a believer. you don't think that as a believer because those are dark thoughts that arise out of thinking that we're right and others are wrong. Uh, job will pray for you. job will pray for you if you come and you offer these sacrifices, acknowledging your sin. you have not spoken. Of me, what is right? Verse eight. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad and Sh- the Shuite and Zophar the Naamathite went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Repentance is followed by reconciliation with God and reconciliation among them, and restitution follows. Because what comes last in verse 10 is the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. Restitution came when Job acted as a believer acts and understood something of the nature and character of God. Now think about what Job lost. He lost everything. Everything. And at the end of the day, Job knew that God is good. And God provides for and God protects His people. There's nothing more marvelous, I think, in the character of who God is than His providence. That God sees beforehand all that is a part of the warp and woof of life for us as His children. And He watches over us and He works all things together for good, that which would bring glory and honor to His name. Now, God's working out of His providence happens in uh, the midst of a sinful world. And you and I need to know that the providence of God at work in our lives is taking place in the midst of a sinful world. The Bible says that those who do not know God, God has handed them over to the pursuit of their own passions. And when God hands a pagan people over to the pursuit of their own passions, that pagan people will do whatever they can within their power to create harm for those who are faithful followers of Jesus. And yet in the midst of God handing over pagans to pursue their own passions, God is at work among His people to provide for His people and to protect His people. If you were in the gospel project, you were this morning in Hebrews 11, and I want you to go with me there very quickly. Hebrews chapter 11, I hope you saw this this morning, I hope you addressed it to some extent this morning because it's so critical. And because here the writer is defining what faith is for us in the beginning of chapter 11. And then he shows us examples of faith. And then he comes to Hebrews 11, verse 32. And listen to what he says. These these are examples of those who trust God and sought to obey God. Verse 32, Hebrews 11, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson. Some of us are glad that men like Samson are included in this. When you think of sainthood, you surely don't think of Samson. Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Now, those are great things. Uh, that happened because God provided for everyone he is naming here, and you can take these descriptions and tie them to some Old Testament person. These are victorious things. These are things that you want uh, to read about and discuss as the outcome of faithfulness to God. That's what faith is ultimately the kind of trust of God that gives ourselves completely to obey Him. But then look at the end of verse 35. It begins with the word some. The word some here describes other people that are as faithful as those that we've just examined. Some were tortured. Refusing to accept release, that is release from prison, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Now, those are two groups of people. One group of people seemingly prospered by God, the other group experiencing all kinds of enormous pain because of their faithfulness to God. Now, here's my question. Which of these two groups experienced most the providence of God? They both experienced equally the providence of God. God provided in each and every situation... Exactly what was needed for them in both camps for them to bring glory and honor to God. God provides for his people. And God provides everything that we need to fulfill his purposes in our lives. You know, one of the greatest lies you'll ever hear, I pray that none of you ever hear this, but one of the greatest lies you'll ever hear is when someone would say to you, well, I know you're in a bad situation right now and you're struggling in a lot of ways, but if you just had more faith. I went right before, most of you know this, I went right before I came here as pastor through the most serious depression. I didn't even know what it was at first. I had never had anything like this. But it was a serious depression. It was real. I'd never faced such darkness in my whole life. I was in the deepest despair I'd ever been in when I was at a place in my life when I didn't need to be in that kind of despair, but there I was. And in the church I served, I had two people say to me to my face, If you had more faith, you would not be in this place. And if you were a true, and these were their words, a true man of God, you would not face this kind of despair. Those are hurtful words. But the truth is that in the providence of God, looking back, (laughs) I see how God was working out his plan and purpose in a way that would never have happened without that dark night of the soul. Some of you have been in those places, some of you are in them now, some of them, they're coming. But when they come, or if you're there now, you can rest in the providence of God. Because listen to what Paul says at the end of Hebrews 11. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had you with me in verse 40? You see the word? It's the word for providence. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Paul says that when the perfect comes, the imperfect disappears. Where does the perfect come? Only in heaven. And God's providence is to grant for us everything that we need in this life to grow in faithfulness to him. And all of it is used by him to prepare us for heaven. There's one final quote on the, on the slide that we'll end with tonight. It's from the great Puritan Thomas Watson because one of the questions that's raised about providence is where does sin fit into the plans and purposes of the providence of God? God will never, never enable or empower or entice us into sin, but God wastes nothing in our lives. Thomas Watson said, God has a hand in the action where sin is. God is there. But he has no hand in the action of sin. He does not cause us to sin. But when sin comes, he's not taken by surprise, and he works even through that to work out his will and his purposes in our lives. Sin is not fatal in your life, believer. It is not fatal, and it is not final. It is that which God uses to move us toward more and more of who he is calling us to be. Any questions? Comments? Aren't you glad that you can walk out of here tonight and you can walk out singing? I wish I knew all the lines of this hymn, but I don't. God will take care of you through every day or All the way. God will take care of you. Father, we thank you for your providence. We thank you that though there are times when we can see your providence at work, most of the time it is that invisible hand that is guiding, governing, directing, leading, behind us and in front of us, under us and over us, guiding each step, governing our path, demonstrating to us that we can trust your kindness, we can rest in your care. If no sparrow ever falls to the ground without your notice, if you clothe the lilies of the field, and produce the green grass to provide for the needs of animals and others. If you give us rain in its season, the cold when it's needed, the warmth the same, then we can trust you for all that we need for the living of our lives. We don't have to raise our hands in frustration. We don't have to ball up our fist in anger. In the midst of every circumstance of life, we can raise our hands to your sovereign throne and we can praise your glorious name. And particularly during this week, when we see the greatness of your love toward us, in the gift of the sacrifice and substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless this week as we worship each day and prepare our hearts for Sunday. And may we on this Sunday, as you send us guests and people that might not ordinarily be a part of our worship, may... May we rejoice in the gift of their presence. And may we pray for them that they would hear the glorious truth of the salvation that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask it in his name. Amen.